right. Well, we're starting a brand new series, uh, and it's titled, I've Got Questions. And uh, I think, again, not only the power that we are going to learn uh, uh, in these Sunday mornings, but again, to unpack them more throughout the week are going to be really, really beneficial for you. So let me start. I think that maybe you have heard or maybe we have done it at some point or if you have been in some church of, of faith at some points, a lot of times they begin a service or maybe begin uh, before the message where maybe the pastor would say, God is good. And then the house responds by saying all the time. And then I say, and all the time. And then you respond by saying, God is good, right? So if we haven't done that here or maybe we haven't done that a long time, how many are up for a little bit of, of just kind of putting it out there this morning, right? All right, you know what you got to do? All right, so when I say God is good, you say, and I say, and all the time, man, I was going to make you repeat that, but that was a pretty good go. Normally, right, we're kind of like, come on, but hey, way to give it up today, church. So really, when we hear that phrase that God is good all the time, but I've got a question in that for you today, and maybe that is going to drive our entire series over these next six weeks. And here's my question to you about kind of our faith chant that, that we went through this morning. Have you ever doubted that? Have you ever doubted the goodness of God? Now, come on, you can be you can be honest today, all right? And maybe other than Christy Heath, don't shout it out loud today, right? But I think that when we really take pause to kind of really question, probably every one of us at some point in our life have doubted the goodness of God. We've had questions. We've started maybe our prayer with, but why God, right, with situations and circumstances. Now, I know as maybe followers of Jesus, that we're not supposed to ever doubt. We should always have faith in the goodness of God, but I wonder if any of you like me have ever doubted in a moment when we've experienced something that just didn't seem fair as it related to what was going on in our life. And maybe you had an experience where you just simply said, man, right now God doesn't really feel good. You know, maybe you lost your job Maybe when your parents got divorced. Maybe there was a spouse that betrayed you. Maybe it was when a loved one died and you were challenged and you struggled in moments like that where you wonder, where is the goodness of God in all of this? God, why can't you take away these migraines? Why am I still battling depression? Why won't you take these temptations away from me. I mean, the questions could just go on and on as they relate maybe to our life or people that are in our circle. But, you know, we probably had questions even as we expanded out even more globally as well. When we think about the, the struggles and the suffering of people in our world, we say, God, how could you allow the starving children in our world? Or what is it with all the wars that are going on? Or why is it that the innocent are suffering and a lot of people struggle in their connection with God because they can't get an answer to the why questions that permeate their life of things that they don't understand. And so maybe today and in this series ahead if you've ever questioned the goodness of God or maybe if you've ever asked yourself why did you let this happen then maybe today's message in this entire series is for you. 
Maybe you know some people that you probably need to call or connect with this week to say, hey, I know the struggles that you've been having in your life. Our pastor is addressing some of these issues. And again, this is where the power of life group comes in because it's not just, again, a little bit in a preaching or a lecture format today, but it's an opportunity for you to maybe start to unpack your heart a little bit with, I'm sure a lot of us around the circles this week are dealing with a lot of the same things. You know, 300 years before Jesus was here, there was a philosopher by the name of Epicurus, and he came to a couple of conclusions as he looked at some of these very same questions. It's kind of good and maybe bad to know that even thousands of years ago that, that people were still struggling with these issues, and it brought about a few statements and a question where he simply thought of all of these things that were happening in the world, and he said, if God was not able to prevent evil, if he can't stop bad things from happening, then maybe, just maybe, God isn't all-powerful. Or if God's not willing to prevent evil, then maybe he's not good all the time. And that pushed forth a question that said, if God is both willing and able to prevent evil, then why does evil exist? Why does God let it happen? More than 2,000 years ago, people were asking the same question that maybe you and I struggle with. Maybe some of you are struggling it with today or somewhere in your journey, and maybe you've never felt like you've got a really good answer to that question. So as we walk through that today, what we're going to see is that evil and suffering is actually not contrary to the story of the Bible that we look to God's word, we're going to realize that there is a path and there is hope for us when we come to the end and realize that we have nothing but question. And I think we'll discover that evil and suffering is a part, a central part of the Bible story. And so there is truth and there is help that we can provide today and in these weeks ahead. So as we talk about it today, and again, as our groups begin to move through it, maybe it's along this line that Christianity does makes sense of, it does give meaning to, and does offer solutions for the evil and the suffering that we experience. For those of you that are going to join a, a life group, I just kind of throw it out there that we want to be sensitive because there might be people that are really dealing and struggling with some really tough issues in their life, and so that we're not going to be just so quip about it in our groups, but but as people feel comfortable to be able to express some of their fears and their concerns, we want to be open to embrace that, but then also guide scripturally that it's not a place that we have to get stuck at either. So let's build a scriptural foundation today. Jeremiah the prophet, some of you might remember or know that name of the Bible. He's known as the weeping prophet and a lot of his ministry was around the unrepentant heart of, of Israel. And God kind of forced him to even do some visual illustrations about how they kept turning their back on God. And it was kind of a question that Jeremiah poses over and over again about why people continue to be so unrepentant in face and the love of God. We look at David, we call him a man after God's own heart, but yet when we read through the Psalms and his story, there is so much verbiage where he's saying, God, aren't you listening to me? Do you even care? Why don't you come to my defense when I'm in trouble? 
Maybe John the Baptist. I mean, he was given the role of being the precursor to Christ. I mean, he had a really, really important role, right, to, to, to make way for the Messiah. But we know in John's story is that somewhere along the line, he was falsely accused, he was thrown in prison, and he was facing death. And he cried out to Jesus. He had his disciples, hey, hey, let Jesus know what's going on here, that I'm in prison, that it could be tomorrow morning that they're going to kill me. And Jesus didn't show up. And he sent his disciples to ask them, ask him, are you the one? Assure my heart in the midst of all of this suffering, in, in my eminent doom, I, I haven't made a mistake, have I? Are you the Messiah? And I kind of think, man, if John the Baptist had those moments in his life, then, then you and I certainly are going to be there at somewhere on our journey as well. But maybe the most for you, and I think a place for us to look at in our groups or maybe for you to read through this week, is the Psalm of Asaph. And I'm not sure that many of you might be familiar with him today, but he wrote Psalms 73. In fact, if you have your Bible or even on your device, you can go to a Bible app and you can look at that with me today. There were multiple writers to the Psalms. David didn't write all of them. There were others. And this one, I think, is most poignant for, for our series today. In fact, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of the, the cliff notes of Psalms 73 he was a man that was very close to God, a, a prophet, a man that would speak on behalf of God. And he kind of puts it out there. He said, I'm, I'm starting to stumble. What I'm seeing happening in my life and, and around me, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with that. There's a, a lot of stuff that's going on that I'm having a hard time putting all of the pieces together. In fact, one of the ways that he was talking about is I don't understand how the wicked are seemingly being blessed, and, and I'm doing everything that's right, and it just keeps going against me. Any Asaphs in the house this morning? Anybody ever wonder why it seems like it's all working for them, and they have no thought for God, and they're living evil, and it just seems like their blessings are being multiplied, and it seems like it's just kind of hammering down on my house, on my head, on my family over and over again. God how is this? And in verse 11, he basically says, what does God know? Does, does even the Most High know what is happening and what is going on in my life and in the world around us? These wicked people, they're enjoying a life of ease, and yet still their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Kind of a little bit of precursor to John the Baptist? Like, did I make a mistake in giving my life to Christ when I realized that all around me it's just suffering, it's hardship, it's difficulty? Every morning just seems to bring me more pain. God, why are you letting this happen? See, I want to tell you up front today that I'm probably not going to have a clear, clean-cut answer to every one of your questions or every one of your situations. I mean, there is a way that will be very unique, especially for you, but stay with me today because I do believe that I will build a foundation that will help you and I stand during difficult seasons, whether they are now or they are yet to come, that will not collapse your house, but will envision you and enable you to be able to stand 
during very difficult times in life. I'm going to help you to have the answer to the why God questions of the situations and circumstances that you will face. So let's look at a few of them this morning. So here's, I think, the question of all questions for humanity today. That if God is a good God, if God is loving, then why does he allow suffering? Why, why do I go through difficult times in life? Why would he let someone who didn't do anything wrong go through what they are going through? Maybe I have your attention this morning. Maybe that's something that you've said this week. Maybe that's a place that you get stuck in a lot when difficulty or hardships come your way. So what do we do about that? Well, let me say this to you this morning that helps build a biblical foundation for difficulties that we find in life. That if love is a choice, when we talk about if God is a God of love, well, if love is a choice, then suffering must be a possibility as well. You see, what the Bible teaches us is that the relationship that God has with you and I is based on something that we call free will. Our, our relationship exists on the way that, that not only that love is possible, but it gives you and I then the opportunity to choose to love back. And, and at times we want to struggle with that, but I think when we're honest and we set back, I mean, that's the best kind of love there is. It's a love that is chosen, that maybe in a relationship here in, in, in the human terms, we recognize none of us would enjoy a relationship, a love relationship that is forced, right, that is demanded. We wouldn't want to stay in a relationship with that. We would want love that is freely exchanged, freely that, that is by way of choice. She loves me, I love her. And it's based on our mutual love and respect and choosing that in the good times and the bad times and whatever it is, that's gonna be the bedrock of our relationship. And so that's how God set it up with humanity as well. He gave you and I, in fact, God takes the biggest risk by far by allowing you and I the choice to love him after everything that he's done for us. Or there's a flip side to that, and this where, again, is that God incurred the risk that for this relationship, we can choose not to love God. We can choose to say thanks, but no thanks. You see, free will is simply the ability to choose. So we recognize that if we have the ability to choose love, we also then get the ability to choose hate. We have the ability to choose what's right, but in this free will, we also then are given the ability to choose what's wrong. And when we do that, that is what makes evil and suffering inevitable. It's this idea of choice that we have been given so that we could have a great, wonderful, free relationship with God. So again, that might be a question, but then why did God give us free will? If, if, if it can't stay good all the time and it opens up the door for bad or evil, why would God do that? Because the truth is that's the only way real love exists. It's choice, right? There's something that moves within us. We've all seen some people that just don't seem to go together, Right? Because if we think love is based on looks, how many know that's a very selfish or very uh, superficial way of determining love, right? 
We've all seen the number 10 girl somewhere, right, with the number two guy. And we walk by and we scratch our heads and we're like, how is that even possible, right? Like, what does this guy have, right? Because what? We're only caught looking on the surface. But we realize that love, true love, is way deeper than that. There are some head scratchers in this deal because we realize it's not based on outward all the time. We recognize that people are looking for a relational connection inwardly. And that's the same with God. You see, God didn't want to have us as just rocks or robots. God desperately wanted a relationship where he chose us and then reciprocally we choose him. But the challenge or the problem is in order for us to have the freedom to choose to love, then we also have the freedom to choose evil. And the Bible calls those choices sin. When we fail to do what it is that God has asked us, that, that brings glory and honor to him, that goes against his way. And the end of sin leads to pain and suffering. And so we live in a world where evil exists because people choose to sin, because people choose evil rather than good, and that just continues to reverberate through generations, and we recognize the hurt and the harm that happens in lives. So here's what we have to know. For God to remove evil and suffering, what he has to do is either remove our freedom to choose, or he has to remove us. He either just doesn't give you and I the relationship, the, the ability to choose, or he just kind of stops the relationship and it becomes a demand thing where he's God and we're just servants, we're just nothings, and, and we're just placed here to do his bidding and that's all that there is. And so that's why we struggle in a life where things don't go our way because of the wonderful gift and joy of choosing Christ, of choosing love, of choosing joy, and realizing the trajectory of what that can do in our life, that unfortunately there is a downside to choices that we have the opportunity to make as well. You know, I think people have an underlying question in these questions of life as well, that, that how, who set that up, and who says that, that God's in control, or what if there is no God? Now, now, we might not tend to ask that question. I mean, you're here in church. You're here in God's house. So maybe at the end of the day, that's maybe not your driving question. But when people look at all of the craziness in the world today, they may be apt to even doubt, is there a God? Or again, why, if there is a, quote, good God, why would he allow all of this craziness to happen in the world? Well, maybe I can bring it home to you just a little bit more. How many of you have a brother or a sister? You grew up with a brother or sister. Come on, let me see your hands. Yep, all right. How many of you love your brother and sister? Okay, not so many hands that time there, right? Probably somewhere in that journey, right, there were probably some fights if you were certainly somewhat close in ages, right? Growing up, there, there was constant you know, battling that was going on. And usually whenever there was a rumble between brothers and sisters, it was a matter of whoever was first to get to mom and dad, right, may have ruled the day. They know that whatever the fight was, if I can get to mom and dad and what? Tell them my version of the story, which was what? You were right and what? 
they were all wrong, right? That would somehow, right, get, get that first message in there that would provide help for you. But you know that, that hot on your heels were your other brothers and or sisters, right, with their version of the story trying to get to mom and dad as well. We recognized that, that there was some idea of authority that we had to get to. But maybe the question is, what if there were no parents? What if there were no rules? then who was going to determine who was right and who was wrong? Because in your opinion, who's right? I'm right. All right? But unfortunately, so your brothers and sisters are thinking the very same thing. And so how is it that we're able to go through life in the hope of justice, in the hope of a right or wrong? Well, there has to be then some belief in authority because we go to our parents because we recognize there is an authority so that there is a standard that then guides our life. And whether we want to admit it or not, we want standards. We want bookends in our life that provide some type of moral, some type of direction for all the chaos that is around in our life. And there are times when we don't want it, we don't appreciate it, but hopefully we're mature enough to recognize in the big scheme of things that our life goes better with rules, with authority. I mean, we could simply use the easy illustration of traffic lights, of red lights. We recognize they are a necessary nuisance to our traveling at times. Oh my goodness, like another red light. In fact, when we talk about having a bad day, we'll talk about when we're going across town, what? I got every red light on 38th Street, right? And how miserable you are for that. But we recognize of the potential chaos that is around us that if we didn't have those traffic signals and if it was just let up to everybody to do their own deal and that they were in the right how many know we'd live in a very chaotic world that in actuality we really wouldn't want to live in? Am I right? You're tracking with me? You see, if there is no God, then there is no moral point of reference. There is no help to us. There is no direction or, or bookend to our life to help make sense out of the chaos. And we realize that life would be even more difficult I think the fact that we do believe in evil and suffering is simply even more of a proof that God does exist. Because we recognize that's our cry, like, like there's gotta be somebody in charge of this. The, the fact that there is, that it, it all just doesn't go based on, on who we are, that, that there has to be more to this story. And that's where it becomes central to the story of the gospel, the story of the Bible. That's why the Bible doesn't, not speak of these kind of lights, not just kind of lollipops and rose petals, where it gets down to not only you and I, but how many characters in the Bible that were crying out, God, where are you in the midst of this? Like, life is unfair, that sin and evil is starting to, to overpower my world, the world in which I live in, and I, I'm coming to you as an authority, as a standard to help me make sense out of the chaos. A lot of people say that, well, maybe if you have suffered, it's because God doesn't like you, that God doesn't love you, that he's got it out for you. I mean, we read books like Job where it realizes, man, just complete chaos and, and a nightmare shows up 
at his door. But you kind of have to walk through that story a little bit more because in that connection that God has with Job is that the story makes a dramatic shift, a dramatic change. God comes and talks to Job. God wasn't out of the story. God became very real and spoke very direct to Job after all the suffering and chaos that was going on in life. And what God was wanting Job to know is that there is still a God that is in charge of your life. There is still a God that is in charge. And I guess what I want you to hear me today is that when we walk through difficult times, yes, there still is a God that is available in life's difficult moments. Yes, there is still a God who loves and cares for you. There is still a God who has created an opportunity for you to have close relationship with him, not just in the good times, but he is always there, even in the difficult moments. Now, there's going to be more to that story about why we struggle to believe that. We believe that in the good times, but I'm going to give you the answer about why we don't always believe that in the difficult times. You see, here's what I want you to know. Suffering is an evidence of a lack of love. You can't put those two together. Because you're going through a bad time, because you're suffering, because you're hurting, is not equated with not having love or a lack of love. Let me tell you just a little story. So about 10 or 12 years ago, I had to have my shoulder surgically repaired. And so I went to a really great surgeon here in Erie, and I had, after multiple encounters with him, I had this wonderful belief that my surgeon didn't hate me. I was pretty sure I believed that. But the fact was, is that although he gave me corrective surgery, everybody say corrective, and although he gave me corrective surgery, it hurt a lot. And not only just one day after my surgery, he sent me to a physical therapist. Listen, those people, the devil is in charge of that job, Mark, and I'll tell you that right now. One day after surgery, they signed me up to go to physical therapy. And right from the get-go, there were things that they started to do with my shoulder where I wept and I cried. The pain that I was experiencing, and he knew it. I mean, he was fully aware about what, not only today, but what these next days were going to mean for me. In fact, after I had done all of my therapy, all kind of forward, going this way, and I had progressed really well. It took me a while, and I cried through a number of those therapy sessions, but, but it did get better, and, and I, was, I felt like I was on my way, and then he said, hey, Jim, starting on Thursday now, we're going to do everything in the reverse to get your arm to, which was like starting from scratch all over again. I'll be honest with you, I cried all Wednesday night into Thursday knowing that I was going to have to go in on Thursday and start it all over again. Did he hate me? Not at all. In fact, here's the hope that he gave me so that I could endure the suffering 
that I was going through and that I was still to go through. What he was talking to me about is that he was giving me a vision that something better was coming. I want you to hold on to that. You see, because in the midst of pain and suffering, what he was reminding me of the lack of mobility that I had for the months and years before that surgery, that soon when this therapy time was over, that all of that was going to be restored, all of that was going to be repaired. I'm going to have a brand new shoulder. But to get there, I may have to go through some suffering. I may have to go through some difficulty. Now, maybe some of you haven't had surgery, but maybe a lot of you have had children. Have you ever had to discipline your children? Are we still allowed to do that? Is it time out now? How many, how many know, man, I wish I grew up in timeouts. Time, right? Why do we discipline? In fact, the Bible talks about God disciplining a son. Is it because we hate our children, we discipline them? Come on, help me out, church. What? What do we do? We, we love them. Wow. So, so suffering, pain, difficulty, discipline, love. But yet now when we get to be older and adults and we recognize that difficulty and struggle comes our way, we kind of look at God and say, how dare you allow me to go through suffering or difficulty? But see, we discipline our kids. We love our kids out of the same, again, principle that I gave to you about my surgery. We do that, why? Because we want to give a vision that something better is coming out of our kids, yes? We want them to be a benefit to their community. We want them to be a benefit to the society around them. We want our kids to be part of the shift that's gonna make life better. And so we hold the line. We create a standard. We become authority over their life. I don't know if a lot of you saw, but just this week, Chief Spazarni with EPD gave a report about what's happened over the last three years with, with the police department and all of the cases that they work through. And almost every one of them, thankfully, have been going down. Some, not majorly, but crimes and aggravated assaults and all those kind of things over the last three years have been going down. But guess what part of the crime wave of Erie is going dramatically upward? Juvenile. Juvenile crimes. Juvenile aggravated assaults. Listen to me. Juvenile gun-related crimes. Why? Because they lack authority. Because they lack discipline. Because many of them don't have parents, right, that are holding a standard in their life. In some ways, our law system, and again, I'm not going to go there, obviously, in a big picture, but a lot of kids know that they're not going to get in trouble. And so they get away with it, seemingly. But we recognize they're not ultimately going to get away with it, right? Because each one of these steps is going to bring more and more issue into their life. You see, the presence of pain isn't a lack of love. In fact, what we realize is, again, in the right context of living, the presence of real pain is also evidence of real love. 
That's why we really love our kids. That's why we really discipline them well. So let me start to wrap up and maybe get to the point. What's, what's the truth of these kind of questions that we ponder or maybe we even speak? Why do bad things happen to good people? So the truth is, whenever we ask that question, we're really not asking that about others. It might be framed that we're asking it outward, but I believe the truth is that we are talking about ourselves. That's really where the question is. That's, we kind of look at all of those things that are happening around our community or even happening around the world, but if we're honest, that question is based more out of our selfishness than really the truth that we want about what's happening in the world. Like, we want to make sure that nothing bad ever happens to me because we believe at the end of the day inside, I'm a good person. But here's what I want you to know this morning. The truth is, you're not a good person. I'm not a good person. Like, we've got to stop asking that question. Why do bad things happen to good people? The truth is, is that none of us are good. Right? None of us are good. In fact, think about it a little bit further. There was only one Hopefully you believe me today. There was only one ever who was truly, truly good. Yes? Yes? Hey, I'll do the all, God is good all the time if you don't like, like we'll go. There's only one that was good. And what happened to him? Come on. Beaten, pummeled, crucified, naked on the cross for onlookers to laugh, to scoff. You see, please don't limit yourself in the story about God and his willingness to be truthful in our lives. Jesus, the only one who was good, was destroyed on your account and mine. And more than that is that this Lamb of God took your sin, our wrong, and collectively put it on himself. And in doing so, the Bible says that he was separated from the Father because he became sin on our behalf. We talked about it on Good Friday here, Matthew chapter 27. No one of us could ever say, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? None of us could ever say that. Because none of that would ever be true. Even in the toughest, worst parts of your, of your life, I want you to know that God never leaves you. God is never unaware of the struggles or the difficulties, but the one and only good person of all time when he was suffering, when he was going through a difficult time, was the only time in history where God forsook man. Enough for Jesus to cry out, for the heavens to be darkened, for rocks to split open. Why have you forsaken me? At times, listen, when we want to have our own pity party, I want you to recognize there was a God who came down to do for you what you and I could have never done for ourselves. 
to provide faith and peace and hope and a God who is involved in our suffering and our dealings and based out of his love for us gave you and I a relationship, the opportunity to choose to love him. And yet within that same frame, we realize that we can abuse the choice that God gave to us, which would unleash difficulty and pain and suffering in our life. But before all of that, what we have to anchor and ground in our life today is the God who did no wrong took all wrong on your behalf and my behalf and was nailed to the cross for you. I hope that puts some perspective. You see, that's where, again, I wanted to teach you a little bit. A moment ago, I told you, you see, those questions aren't about other people. Most of the time, they're out of my own selfishness. God, how could you? God, don't you know what I've done? Listen, the truth is, is that how could we ever say that if we truly know the story of what God has done for you? We're so quick to remind God of everything that we do for him, and yet we tend to be so slow to recognize and to be grateful, hello, of everything that God has done for you. You see, the specific answer is to some of the difficulties that you and I will face in life is that I don't know the full answer to everything or the specificness of some of the journey that you are walking through. But I want you to hear this with me today. It is not because God doesn't love you. And it's not because God doesn't or God wants you to suffer somehow. Because the Bible is ridiculously clear that when it comes to the love that God has for us, that it is overwhelming over and over and over again, enough that he sends his one and only son to be our hope and to be our redeemer. Never in that case, never let that go into your mind today. In fact, I will tell you this today, that there are people that are here at Real Life that have walked through horrible tragedy in their life. And with the hope and the help of God and this church family, they have overcome. I realize that you may be still on a journey where you haven't recognized that, but I want you to know that as we sang today, this is a house of miracles. I could put people on this stage that would tell you, listen, if you knew me six years ago, seven years, Pastor Jim knows my story. Pastor Jim knows of the countless hours I was in and out of his office because of the, the horrible things that happened to me as a child or as a young adult or the pain and the suffering that I endured that limited my life so much. And after time and years and love and caring that a breakthrough and a healing took place in my life. And, and I realize that I still might have some shaky moments, but I can tell you today, I know the moment that God healed me, God helped me, God put me in a house of miracles that revive my soul. They are here at real life today. I want you to know that. And so today, have faith and have belief that God loves you, that God's still for you, that God walks you through the difficult moments. And don't ever forget that it's not about you and I, but it's about him and his love and his mercy that continues to shout in the darkened moments of our life today. You see, Again, God is wanting to grow you and I today. And in this series about how these things can happen, that those that permeate most of our life to be recognized, that God does not abandon, but God 
draws near to us. So maybe our why question is entwined with, and whatever you're walking through today, or whatever you struggled with, it's maybe again entwined with this idea that God still knows that something better is coming your way. You see, my doctor, my physical therapist knew, Jim, you're going to suffer, but something better is ahead. You're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't have to fear because I'm with you. Wish I didn't have to go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I'm in a life where difficult things are going to happen, but yet I've learned that yet my Redeemer lives. And He is giving me His hope and His promise within me that even though it's night, that joy is available in the morning. And maybe in the road that you are walking or the people that you know that are struggling with this is to let them know that sometimes we walk through things, but God is wanting to reveal to you and I that something better is coming. He knew that it takes a death to have a resurrection. He knows that sometimes it takes a hurt to have a healing. Sometimes it takes a loss to overcome the loss and ultimately find victory. Sometimes it's out of bondage is that when we step in and find freedom. You might remember the story of Joseph back at the end of Genesis, the boy of the coat of many colors. Listen, he, find, he, he seemed to find one disaster after another. And if there was anybody in maybe biblical story that we could realize, hey, at some point I get it. He threw in the towel and said, hey, I'm done with all this up and down. I'm done with all this pain and suffering of which I don't believe I've ever caused. But he knew that God was working in and through him for something better. And through Joseph, not only was Israel saved and delivered, but all of humanity. You see, so don't ever deny that some of the darkened moments that we walk through in life, that God still isn't working in you and working through you. Can somebody say yes? You see, we find that he is so present when he can bring good even out of bad. We talked on Easter Sunday just last week that Jesus is the light of the world. You see, even in your darkness, God wants to shine his marvelous lights. He wants to give you help. He wants to give you hope. And let's just be honest as I close this morning. The Bible doesn't ever say that there weren't going to be hard times, right? It doesn't ever say that we're not going to go through hurt. The Bible doesn't say that you won't go through something that's unfair. But it also says that one day, we're all going to rise. One day, we're going to look at this old life, and we're going to go see you later. It's over. One day, we're going to rise. So those of us that take this free will that God has given us, our choice to follow Jesus, to know him, 
to serve him, to love him. You see, one day we're going to meet together in the air. One day we're going to be in the throne of glory. One day we're going to be able to declare, it might be hard right now, but one day we're going to declare, it has been worth it all. How God shaped me, how God formed me. I read a little book back when I was in Bible college. It was entitled, On the Anvil. It's not always the warm and fuzzy reads that you want to always have guiding your life. But the author presented this idea that sometimes it takes shaping for God to mold us into his image. That was the purpose of the anvil. To take that raw metal and with the hammer begin to pound and pound and shape. Mercilessly? No. To make something of production. To make something of value. You see, so don't ever scoff at the difficulties that might come your way. Please understand, these may be ways for God to shape you and to mold you so that he can use you to be a blessing more to the kingdom of God. Yes? God, allow us to stay on the anvil. Allow us to persevere through difficult seasons of life, knowing that something better is coming. Let me get a fresh picture of myself that, well, maybe I'm not the epicenter of the universe. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. But I'm so glad that he who is good loved me to reveal the greatest act of love that anyone could on my behalf. Listen, church, let me finish with this today. God is good and all the time, come on, stand with me today. Let's just close thinking and praying about the goodness of God today. Amen.